Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. So I remember a few years back going to my kids' school for a PTA meeting, you know, a parent-teacher association meeting. You may have been to them in your time. And we were excited because Hannah, who's my oldest daughter, she was about seven years old at the time. And the way they get you to go to these things is they make sure there's a performance of some children, right? So that you'll actually stay for the business part as well. So we were going, we were excited because she was going to do this uh, poem that she'd written about peace. And in fact, there were about 20 students who'd been selected to do this. They'd all written poems around this five-line outline. It went like this. If I could touch peace, it would feel like. If I could taste peace, it would feel like. If I could smell peace, it would smell like. If I could hear peace, you're getting where it's going, it would sound like. If I could see peace, it would look like. And they just had to add a few final words to the end of each line. Well, at first, as they got up, it was kind of cute. You know, each student would walk up to the microphone, and they'd be wearing a a peace symbol necklace, something like this, around their necks, okay? This peace symbol necklace, beautiful. Sorry, Barry, there you go. And and then, you know, they'd they'd say something about it as they they recite their poem, and as they were doing this, the other 19 students were behind them striking different poses to do with peace, I think, creative poses, like, I don't know, like this, right? Or like this. And however, after about the fifth time of hearing a, a kid talk about how peace would sound like birds singing or like fluffy bunnies or peace would taste like ice cream, it started to become a little bit hard to stomach, I must admit, and we still had 15 more poems to go <laughs> with 15 more poses. Now, I don't want to be hard on a bunch of elementary age school kids, but Perhaps their ideas are indicative of the culture that they live within. You see, as we enter the season of Advent and that Christmas season keeps rushing headlong towards us, we start to hear more and more about peace, don't we? We receive cards that talk about wishing for peace on earth. We hear songs that plead that we just give peace a chance. And we hear people talk about how if they had one wish, it would just be for world peace. And what they're really talking about is they they want to have that fuzzy, Christmassy feeling inside of them, don't they? That feeling that when you turn the lights down and the lights are on the tree only and you you get that glow within you, right? Or maybe they're just talking about that absence of conflict in their lives, in the lives of those around them. They want to be at peace with those around them. But did you know that the world has rarely, if ever, known a time of complete peace or world peace? as people wish for. A group of historians from around the world, they somehow figured out that since 3600 BC, the world has known only 292 years of peace. That's years without war. And during that period, there have been 14,351 different wars, large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. It's tragic, isn't it? When it comes to the biblical definition of peace, though, an absence of conflict is far too narrow a definition. And anyway, the truth according to Scripture is that there will never, ever be an end to conflict on this earth, at least not until Jesus returns. He tells us to expect wars and rumors of wars. Now, the Bible's clear that there won't be an end to all conflict until he comes back. Now, once you know this, it might seem futile, right, to work for peace. You just think, well, what's the point? It's not going to happen anyway. 
So what are we to do? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And yet peace, as defined by this world, seems to be out of reach, uh, out of reach beyond that warm, fuzzy, Christmassy feeling. This week, we're going to look at the Messiah, who's the Prince of Peace, or the Sar Shalom, as the Hebrew says. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom, is about much more than simply the absence of conflict in our lives or in the lives of others. It means completeness. It means soundness. It means safety and even prosperity. And what we'll see today is that Jesus Christ is the only one who's brought shalom. He's the only one who's bringing shalom. And he is the only one who will bring true shalom in the end to complete fullness. So let's turn to our scripture readings for today. You can find them on your scripture insert in your announcement sheet. And let's see what God would say to us through his word. So in our New Testament epistle from Romans chapter 5, we see that Jesus has already brought the peace that the world needs. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. First and foremost, this is the peace that mankind needs. Peace not in that sense of a warm, fuzzy feeling or in the sense of just having some peace and quiet, but rather in the Jewish sense of Shalom, meaning wholeness or completeness. And what Paul's telling us is that once we've been justified by faith, once we've been set free from sin, then we are at peace with God. We are complete people living as we were meant to live in relationship with our Creator once again, with free, unhindered access to God Himself. And this peace we experience is the peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that transcends reason or human explanation, one that only the Holy Spirit living within us can give to us. And it means that even in the most troubling of situations, even when everyone else is anxious or panicking, even in the face of death itself, we are at peace because we know that nothing, Nothing at all, nothing in this world or the next can separate us from the love of God. And why is all this possible? Well, it's because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You see, God knows that we can't do this for ourselves, however hard we try. In verse 6, we read, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. See, Paul understands that as humans, we're weak. We're helpless to save ourselves. But not only this, We're ungodly. The Greek word used here is asabes, and it's not a flattering word. It means that we are irreverent towards God. We are condemning of him. We are even wicked. It's not simply, you see, that we're people who occasionally make mistakes. No, you and I are rotten through and through from birth. We're infected with sin because of Adam. And as Paul puts it in verse 8, our identity prior to knowing Jesus is that of sinners. We've offended God by our behavior. We have not lived up to his standards. In fact, we can't even do that for one day. (coughs) And how do I know that? How do I know we can't do it for one day? Because I know myself. I know Jonathan Bennett all too well. Friends, there isn't a day that I don't sin against God, right? And the same is true for you and for every person in mankind. And a recent article in Christianity Today 
A prominent Christian leader and author, Andy Crouch, who I've actually heard speak and read some of his books, he wrote this. If you knew my full condition of my heart, my fantasies and grievances, my anxieties and darkest solitary thoughts, you would declare me a danger to myself and others. I cannot be entrusted with power by myself, certainly not with celebrity, and neither can you. And in her excellent new book called Confronting Christianity, I recommend you all read, Rebecca McLaughlin writes this, it has been said that no friendship in the world would last a day if we could see each each other's thoughts. Run that test on yourself between now and tomorrow. Think of everyone you spend time with and ask, would I let them see a transcript of my thoughts? My marriage would die. My children would be crushed. My friends would leave. My thoughts are not all bad. Many are good and kind and true. But like a bag of flour infested with maggots, no part of me is pure. Yes, we are sinful by nature. And so verse 9 mentions we are rightly destined to experience God's wrath or his righteous judgment. You see, all of this makes us enemies of God. We see that in verse 10. Yes, before salvation, we are literally at war with him. We are far from being at peace with God. And this is bad news, isn't it? It separates us from him. And maybe we don't like to talk about this too much, but this separation can lead us to eternal death. Because one day we're all going to stand before him and we are going to give account for our lives. And as a just God, the right penalty for our rejection of him is complete separation from him. And the number one criteria for eternal life will not be good works or being a good person or just trying to be a little bit better than the person next to you, right? No, it will be, does God know you? Does he know you? Are you in relationship with him? Well, the good news is that he's made a way to be known, a way to be at peace with him. You see, even though he knows all of this about us, even though in this light we're like fugitive criminals to him, because of his great love for us, God seeks us out like lost children. He is looking for us. He is longing for us. And he is calling us to come home to him. We read in verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of Jesus' willingness to be Emmanuel, in other words, God with us, as Matthew puts it in our gospel reading, we are able to be at peace with God. And this is the greatest thing about the Christmas story. It's not the sweet baby Jesus lying in the manger, right? Somehow, mysteriously, not crying at all ever, it seems. Even though there's all these animals around him, he's lying in poop, and he's got these smelly shepherds come visit him with their sheep, and these wise men with their strange gifts. It's not about that, no. The Christmas story is so beautiful because it points us to the awful tragedy of Good Friday. The awful tragedy. It's the irony of the story, isn't it? The beauty of this babe in a manger points us to the horrific nature of the cross, ultimately. It's when God bears the weight of the world's sin on his own shoulders. He dies the death that we, each of us, deserve for our rebellion. See, the cross is the thing that enables us to be justified by Jesus' blood and saved by him from the wrath of God. That's verse 9. And then to be reconciled to God by the death of his son, verse 10. But Good Friday's tragedy, of course, is followed by the glory of Easter, isn't it? 
when Jesus rises again from the grave. And it's the resurrection that enables us to be saved by his life, verse 10, and to rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation, verse 11. This is the risen king who came first as a babe 2,000 years ago and who's coming again. He is the prince of peace. In fact, he is the very author of peace. Because of this, he's the one who can bring peace to any situation in our lives. He can bring it to our marriages. doesn't matter where they're at right now. He can bring peace to that. Not only that, he can bring peace to our families, even where they're divided and broken and torn apart. He can bring peace to our work situations, even in the midst of conflict. He can bring peace to our neighborhoods. He can bring peace to our friendships. He can bring peace to our churches. He can bring peace to our finances. He can bring peace to our anxieties. He can bring peace to our hearts and to the hearts of all those around us, right here and right now. You see, once we repent, once we receive his love and his forgiveness, we experience his shalom. And we become people of peace. And even in the most trying of situations, even in the midst of terrible suffering, we're able to stand firm in the Lord. We are no longer uh, people who stand on shifting sands, right? We're people who stand on solid rock. But more than this, by his Holy Spirit, we're able to bring peace to even the most difficult of situations. Yes, by his spirit working through us, his spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, and knowledge and fear of the Lord, he chooses you and me to be bringers of peace to his world. The spirit that indwelled him, that same spirit indwells all of us who are his followers, and it's constantly available to all of us. We just need to ask him to fill us anew. So where can you be a peacemaker today? Where do you need to take the first step and initiate healing in a broken situation. Perhaps seeking forgiveness, even if you feel that you're the one who's being wronged. Perhaps swallowing your pride and showing grace to another. There's a great moment in our service, isn't there, where we, we call it the passing of the peace, right? You ever wondered about why we do that at that place? Some people think it's like the sort of the, was it the seventh inning stretch, right, in baseball? It's your chance to get up, stretch, say hello to everyone, actually say some words. No, we, we bring the peace because God's given us his peace. We've just asked for forgiveness in the confession, right? And then we are to share that peace with others. And it's actually a moment where if you're in conflict with someone in the room, you're supposed to leave the room and deal with that conflict before you come to the table. That's why we have the peace right there, right then. And there are people who actually do that. <laughs> they realize, I've just had an argument with my husband or wife. I've got to go out and deal with that before I can come to the table and receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. It's said that the London Times newspaper once sent out an inquiry to famous authors, and they asked them this question, what's wrong with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton, a Christian, renowned writer, philosopher, and theologian, he wrote back and he put down these words simply saying, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. I am. Peacemaking begins with our recognition that we're not as great as we think we are. Most of us have too high an estimation of ourselves. And that too, all, too often, we're actually the problem in the world. But also the recognition that we can be the solution. We can be peacemakers in this world. 
You know, that night when I got back from the parent-teacher association meeting, I went and I sat with Hannah in her bedroom. And she was in her bed and she was still proudly wearing her peace necklace, right? Still wearing that. And we talked a little bit about that evening. And then I asked her, I said, why don't you turn that peace necklace upside down, right? And then I asked her, I said, what do you think that looks like? What do you think that looks like, right? It gradually dawned on her that it was a bit like a cross, That's right, I said, and did you know that it's only because of the cross of Jesus that we will ever experience true peace, both peace with God and peace on earth? Because of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again, we can be set free from sin and from death, and we can be at peace with God. And because of his victory on the cross, because of that, we can know that one day there will be world peace. One day, there'll be a new heaven There'll be a new earth. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more. Friends, this is the peace that the world needs. It's not hallmark sentimentality, but genuine reconciliation with God, a reconciliation that saves us from his righteous anger. It's a reconciliation that saves us from our sin, a reconciliation that gives us full assurance that we're known and we're loved by the one who made us, and a reconciliation that then leads us to be people of peace, bringing God's kingdom here on earth, a peace that gives us a hope because we know that one day we will get to experience that new heaven and that new earth where God's shalom will reign. May we know this peace. May we bring this peace and hope in this peace, this advent and evermore. Let us pray. I want to give a chance today to respond to what's just been said. I just encourage you to close your eyes, bow your heads. And if you're someone who's never experienced that peace of Christ in your life, but you would like to experience that now, I'm just going to pray a prayer, something simple. And I just want you to raise your hand as I pray this, and you say that in your own heart as you do it. I'm just asking you to raise your hand so I know I can chat to you afterwards about it, the decision you made to ask for Christ's peace to enter your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, come. Lord, I want your peace in my life. Lord, I repent of my sin. I repent of choosing my own way. And Lord, I choose to follow you today. I need your love in my life. Help me to follow you and help me to be a peacemaker. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.